Welcome to the Grace Church's podcast. The message you are about to hear was recorded live during our Sunday service. Follow along with the message by downloading our app, available for both Apple and Android phones. And now, for our message. Between the time that Jesus was resurrected and his ascension back into heaven, he was with his disciples. And one of those occasions, according to Luke chapter 24, when they were together, the scripture says that Jesus opened his disciples' minds to understand the word of God. It says in Luke chapter 24, verse 45, then he, that is Jesus, opened their minds to understand the scriptures. Can we pray that together before we go to God's word this morning? Would you pray with me? Lord, open our minds to understand your word. Holy Spirit, come and be our teacher. Jesus said that you would be the teacher. We invite you to teach us this morning. We pray in his name. Amen. We're going to be in three passages of Scripture this morning. I don't usually make you jump around that much, but we're going to start in Luke chapter 17, and we're going to jump to Matthew chapter 18, and then we're going to go back to Luke. So if you want to go there now, go to Luke chapter 17. I'll do that too. How's everybody doing? Good. Good. I sure do wish the weather would be warm all the time. I keep getting teased, you know? I keep feeling like, oh, it's here. No, it's not. Oh, it's here. No, it's not. So I'm really ready for it to be spring. We are finishing a series of messages this morning called Breakthrough. And this whole series of messages has been about one of two subjects, either giving or forgiving. Financial giving or forgiving from the heart. And we've been alternating weeks, and this week, we had a guest speaker last weekend, but this week is the final message about forgiveness. And um, I'm excited about it because in the same way that, that giving has levels. Remember I was talking about levels of giving. And I, by the way, that's not, a, that's not necessarily a Bible thing. Like it doesn't say in the scriptures, you're at level one. That's like a video game thing, you know? That's not, that's just, it's just the way it helps me think of it. So the levels of giving would be like, we talked about lordship. When we, when we come to a place where we affirm the lordship of Jesus, we will, we will begin to give something. As Scott said last week in this service, Anything given in faith pleases the Lord. And so whether that's the smallest little offering, when we begin to give of our lives financially, the Lord is pleased with that because he always responds to faith, period. Second level, again, I'm making this level thing up, but just a helpful way of thinking of it. Second level would be tenthing or tithing, really trusting the Lord and returning to him the tenth part of our income, the tenth part of our wealth. That is a that is a, a step that initiates a tremendous amount of breakthrough financially for people. You talk to people, I encourage you to do this. If you're someone that is kind of on the, the fence with that or you just don't know what you believe or you can't really, you know, you're struggling with taking that faith step, I encourage you to talk to people that tithe. I don't know anyone who believes in the giving of the 10th and has experienced what God has done in their life that wants to back off of that once they take that step. It is something that you're like, man, this is fantastic. I have a friend, a uh, friend of Susan's and mine, she was buying a house one time, and, and the, the lender said, you know, you could have a lot nicer house if you didn't give so much money to church. <laughs> and, and so she stopped, and she bought this really nice house. No, I'm just kidding. No, she didn't do that. She told the lender, she says, I can't afford not to do that. You don't understand. Everything I have is connected to the one that I am honoring through my 10th thing. So that would be like level two. Of course, level three, we talked about the lady in Luke chapter 21. 
That lady gave everything that she had, and we called that the sacrificial giving level, level three, where God said, led her, for whatever reason at that time, to give everything that she had. And I said in that message, I said, I'm not saying that God is telling you or asking you at any time necessarily that you need to give everything that you have, but here's the deal. It's all his, and so if he says, if he puts it on our hearts to make that kind of a big gift, to give away a house, to give away a car, to give away everything that we have, if that's what he would call us to do, we need to be a people that say, Lord, I trust you enough to do that. I want us to be that kind of a church, the kind of a church that says, whatever the Lord says to do, that's what we're going to do. Whether it makes sense in the natural or not, we want to be a church willing to go all in and sacrificially give. Amen? Okay, turn the, you don't sound very convinced. Turn to the person next to you and say, I think that's what we want. Yes. Well, just like there's levels of, of, of giving financially, there are levels of forgiving. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning, the, the kind of uh, the third level. So I want to do the first two levels. Quick review. Look in uh, Luke chapter 17. Verses 3 and 4. Luke chapter 17, verses 3 and 4. This is Jesus speaking, and this is what he says. He says, pay attention to yourselves, which, by the way, is great advice. We need to pay attention to ourselves. Pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him. If he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in the day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. This is what I would call level one forgiveness. A couple of factors here. First of all is this. Your brother sins against you, and you go and rebuke him. And then he repents. That's kind of like the, the elementary school level of forgiveness, because I'm initiating it. You did something. You're apparently oblivious to it. And I come to you and say, hey, what's up with this? And you go, oh, I'm so sorry. I, I was wrong. Would you please forgive me? And then I have this wonderful grace to say, yes, I forgive you. We should forgive each other when we point out each other's faults. I love when Susan points out my faults. I look forward to it. So I'm always ready to say, yes, sweetheart, whatever you say, you're so right. That's a lie. <clears throat> But the point is, when someone rebukes you and you've done wrong, then you need to ask for forgiveness, and that person that, that rebuked you needs to give you forgiveness, right? Amen. So that's, that's kind of the basics. That's where we're starting off. Second level, go to Matthew chapter 18. Matthew chapter 18. Matthew 18 is the, um, is the story that we looked at a few weeks ago. With the, there was the parable of the ungrateful servant. Remember, Jesus tells this parable. We're going to look at the two verses that preempt the parable that actually caused Jesus to tell this particular spiritual story. Of course, the parable of the ungrateful servant is the parable where the servant uh, is forgiven this amazing debt by the master, right? $4.64 billion. Remember that foolish servant says, just be patient with me. I'll pay you back. And, and the master has pity on him and says, no, I forgive you. And that servant who just was forgiven billions of dollars in our money walks out of the presence of the master, sees a servant that owes him about nine grand, $9,000, and it says that he goes up to him and grabs him by the throat and starts choking him, saying, pay me what you owe. That other servant says the same words that the first servant said in the presence of the master, please be patient with me, I'll pay you all. But the first servant, instead of giving grace, the grace that he'd received, instead of doing that, the first servant has the second servant thrown in jail. The master finds out and then throws the first servant in jail until he should pay all that he owed. That whole story started because of an interaction between Peter and Jesus. Look with me, Matthew chapter 18, starting in verse 21. It says, Then Peter came up to him and said, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? 
Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. When I read that particular passage of scripture, it feels to me like Peter is looking for a pat on the back from Jesus. Like Peter comes up to Jesus and says, hey, Lord, how often do I have to forgive? I mean, up to seven times? As if the Lord's going to be like, Peter, you're so spiritual. Good job, buddy. Way to go. You're so gracious. And, of course, Jesus doesn't do that. Jesus corrects and ups, expands the standard. Jesus says, no, no, Peter, it's not just seven times. It's 77 times. If you read the New American Standard Translation or the New King James Version, it says 70 times seven or 490 times and I know I don't have to say this because you're all so mature, but that does not mean having a piece of paper and a pencil and making tick marks. That's it, sweetheart. You're at 350, 351, 352. And we're going to get there at some point today. I'm not going to have to forgive anymore. The point being that we forgive without keeping track. We forgive continuously. We forgive as, a, as an automatic Someone repents, a brother uh, comes to us and repents, we forgive over and over and over again. I would say that is level two. Level one, I rebuke, they repent. Level two, I just keep forgiving endlessly. I'm willing to forgive anyone who comes to me and repents. But there's a third way, a higher way. And it's a way that is not, that is not based on what Jesus said, but rather is based on what Jesus did. And I want to look at it with you this morning. Would you turn to Luke chapter 23? You won't have to go anywhere else. Last movement in your Bible this morning. Luke chapter 23. Here's what it says, starting in verse 32. It says, Two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him. Talking about Jesus. Verse 33. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. And they cast lots to divide his garments. And the people stood by, watching. But the rulers scoffed at him, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself, if he is the Christ of God, his chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. Let me add verse 38 on too. There was also an inscription over him that said, this is the king of the Jews. Let's get a, a clear picture of what's happening in this section of scripture. It's fitting and appropriate that we be talking about this as we move into this month where we'll be celebrating the sacrifice of Jesus and his resurrection. He's, he's there with two criminals. Of course, Jesus is innocent. But he is being crucified with a criminal on one side and the other. Now, the idea of the, the placard, which I just recently realized this. I probably should have known this. But that was not just a Jesus thing. Like, let's make sure that we kind of stick it to the Jews and put that he is the king of the Jews on that placard and hang it above his head. That was actually a way of describing the, the, the crime that the criminal had, had perpetrated. And that would be attached to their cross so that others walking by or seeing them on the cross knew what they did to deserve this punishment. So it's very possible that the criminal on the left and the criminal on the right also had placards up that described whatever offense that they had been a part of. Jesus, of course, says that he's the king of the Jews, which was his crime, which was also true. According to Deuteronomy chapter 21, crucifixion is a cursed form of punishment. Meaning, uh, the, the word of God says in the Old Testament that cursed is anyone who is hung on a tree. So Jesus was not only being executed, he was being executed in a way that Jews would recognize as a curse. He became a curse for us. 
And while he is there, uh, he is slowly dying. Most people that died from crucifixion died from suffocation. You probably know this, but if you don't, the reason that they, they died from suffocation is that they would have to continuously push themselves up as they hung from a cross to be able to breathe, to expand their lungs fully. And as they would become tired and fatigued from whatever had happened to them previously or just being dehydrated from on the cross, they eventually would be fatigued to the point where they could no longer push themselves up and they would suffocate. In Jesus' case, he probably bled to death before he suffocated. As a matter of fact, I believe that he did bleed death because of the scourging that he endured before he was even placed upon the cross. He had lost a tremendous amount of blood. It's also possible that Jesus actually literally died from his heart being ruptured. When we see in John's gospel account of this same time, the the Roman spear that pierces into his chest cavity, water and blood both, both flow out, indicating that he may have had a ruptured heart. You could literally say that Jesus died of a broken heart. And while he's in this excruciating situation, nailed to the cross, in front of him there are soldiers gambling for his clothing, and there are people watching. There are Jews from the city. There are leaders. There are members of his, of his band of followers. His own mother is there, we know, from other places in the Gospels. And the religious leaders that are there, they're, they're taunting him as he is being executed. Verse 35, he saved others. Let him save himself if he is the Christ of God, his chosen one. The soldiers, it says two verses later, get into the act as well. They begin to taunt him. They offer him wine, and they say, if you were the king of the Jews, why don't you save yourself? The irony of those statements is so thick. He's literally saving the world by not saving himself. He continues to stay there in that state because of his focus on saving, not just himself, but everyone else. And through the process of Jesus' crucifixion, he prays several prayers. And one of those prayers is in verse 34. And I want to read it to you again. In this state, nailed to a cross, soldiers gambling before him, being scoffed at and mocked by leaders, having suffered this incredible scourging, having been beaten, insulted, spit upon, he is now hanging on the cross and he utters this prayer. Verse 34, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. I want you to consider with me this morning the kind of forgiveness that Jesus offers in that moment. Three things on your your grace guides if you want to write them down. The first one is this. Jesus' forgiveness was given with compassion. Jesus is forgiving them compassionately in that state of being tortured, in that state of his mid-crucifixion. He's... Uh, cognizant, he's consciously aware enough of the situation, despite the agony of his pain, despite the blood loss, despite all that he has endured, he's able to look at them and understand that everyone that is there, jeering at him, mocking him, looking at him, waiting for him to die, he understands that they don't understand what they're doing. That there's no way that in their, in their wildest dreams that they could imagine what is actually playing out in front of them. They think they're watching a man die. They have no idea they're watching God give his life for the world. And he says out of that, with compassion, Lord, forgive them. Father, forgive them. They don't even know what they're doing. Second thing about Jesus' forgiveness from the cross is that it was given without being sought. You notice when you read through the gospel accounts, there's nobody asking Jesus to forgive them at this moment. Just one guy, which we'll talk about in a minute. 
The people in front of him immediately, the the religious leaders that are there ensuring his death, those who had conspired and brought him to Pilate, who had lied about him so that he would be crucified, they're standing there. None of them are thinking that they need to ask him for forgiveness. As a matter of fact, again, the irony is so thick. They think they are serving God by killing his son. They actually believe that they are doing an act of righteousness on behalf of God who they served by killing this man. The Jews were there mocking him. The the Romans were there mocking him. None of those soldiers were asking him for grace. None of those soldiers were asking him for forgiveness. If you read the narrative in Luke 23 a little bit further, one of the criminals eventually says, Lord, remember me. To which Jesus replies, you'll be with me today in paradise. Jesus gives forgiveness when nobody is seeking it. Jesus gives forgiveness with compassion over those who need it. Finally, Jesus offers forgiveness to everyone that is there, regardless of their ethnicity or their station in life. He's giving forgiveness to Jew and Gentile alike. That's not a coincidence that they're both there when he says it. He's giving forgiveness to the brother who's not seeking it and the the non-brother, the Gentile, that is not seeking it. He is giving forgiveness with compassion without it being sought to everyone there. This is is what I mean when I say a higher way of forgiveness, a level three of forgiveness. This is God's forgiveness. This is divine grace. And this is the way that God offers pardon to the world. No demands, no judgments, no conditions. It's just extended to any who would receive it. This forgiveness has a quality and a depth that is way beyond the transactional approach to forgiveness that you and I most of the time live with. We think we're doing a good thing when someone asks us to forgive them and we say, I guess, I forgive you. We think we're doing something when someone comes to us repeatedly and asks for forgiveness and we graciously forgive them. We really think we're doing something when we choose to forgive someone, this happens occasionally, who has not sought our forgiveness nor cares about our forgiveness. But what we see in Jesus on the cross is something so utterly different from us, so utterly outside of the norm of our experience. It's beyond transactional. It's without expectation. It is given and it stays given. I mean, Jesus is speaking. Get, stay with me on this. Jesus is speaking these words, but all he's doing is giving voice to the heart of God through all of the universe, crying out to people saying, I forgive you. I forgive you. I forgive you. Of course, this forgiveness was never intended to only flow through the life of Jesus. It's supposed to be that those of us that are called by his name, who follow him, who walk with him, it's supposed to be that we emulate and model our lives after this master and his forgiveness. It's his intention that we become extensions of that same kind of grace, that we're like a conduit, than which mercy and grace and love flow to the world all around us, in large part, a world that does not care. Just like the people are on that cross didn't care. And here's the other thing. When when the people of God live this way, live with this kind of forgiveness in their hearts, live with a constant heartbeat that says, I forgive, Father, forgive them. 
I have compassion on them. I know they're not even asking, but I want to walk in this forgiveness. When we live like that, we experience the singular way it is possible on this planet to live without being bitter and caught in a prison cell of unforgiveness. It is so easy to be imprisoned by unforgiveness. I would argue that most of the people that we know, most of the people that you know, that I know, including most of the people in this room at some time or another live in a prison cell of unforgiveness. We are called to a place because of what has happened to us. We feel like we have no choice. We've been hurt. We've been wounded. We've been abused. We've been defrauded. We've been rejected. And we feel like it is our right to hold that. And all of that holding does is place us in a cell of unforgiveness. And living this lifestyle of Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do, frees us from that reality. Ironically, it's funny to think about, it's funny to think that, ironically, the only person who was ever actually able to take up offense righteously was Jesus. I mean, think about this. His entire life, whenever there was an interaction between Jesus and another person and something went down that was negative, guess whose fault it was? Or I should say, guess whose fault it wasn't? I mean, when Jesus was a little kid, I'm not trying to be funny, but think about that. He's fighting with one of his brothers, or at least that's what the mom thinks. She comes into the room, and she says, all right, who started it? Who started it when Jesus had an argument with his brother? Okay, let's set that whole joke up again. <clears throat> Are you hungry? Turn to the person next to you and say, this is going to be funny. When Jesus goes, when Jesus' mom goes into the room and there's an argument between Jesus and his brother, who do you think started it? The brother, right, because why? Why is that? Jesus is perfect. He never in his, you guys, wow. <laughs> Jesus never, never, ever was the one who started anything. He was always completely innocent. He's the one that if someone did something wrong, could have been offended. It was their fault always. And yet for his entire earthly life, he never, ever let a root of bitterness creep up inside of him. He never nursed a wound. He never held an offense. He's hanging on the cross and he still won't hold on to offense. He still won't let bitterness come in. He's still giving grace. He's still saying, forgive them, Father. They don't even know what they're doing. He's giving it to people that don't care. And he invites us into the same. Jesus was never down at the Jordan River or in the marketplace or at temple and saw that person and went like this. You know why you're laughing? Because you have done it or you've at least thought about doing it. It's the Walmart test, right? This is how you know if you have a fence with someone, you bump into them at Walmart. All of a sudden, you need to be in the cat aisle because you need to get away from them, right? That never happened to Jesus, and yet, and yet it happens to us all the time. When your heart's cry is constantly, Father, forgive, your whole life gets filled with peace. Your whole life gets filled with boldness. When you live your life by the power of the Holy Spirit saying, Father, forgive them, you experience peace and boldness that is out of the norm. It's supernatural.
I, I want to say, Grace family, I want to be like Jesus. And I pray that pretty regularly. Like, I want to be like you, Lord. But I, I specifically mean I want to be like Jesus in this way. I want you to be like Jesus in this way. I, I want my life to constantly pour out a, a compassionate, unprejudiced grace to other people. Whether they ask for it or not, whether they understand it or not, whether they want it or not, has nothing to do with it. That I would live my life, that we would live our lives in such a way that we are entirely unwilling to be unforgiving. All of the time. A couple weeks ago, I mentioned this earlier, I said, what kind of church do we want to be? What kind of community do we want to be? Do we want to be a, an all-in, sacrificially giving kind of a church? And everybody's like, yeah. I mean, that, that was my perception at least. You weren't, you weren't hungry that morning. So I was like, yeah, we're going to do it. Just as importantly, I want this church community to be a kind of community that people around us, because of this grace that we exude, because of this unwillingness to be unforgiving that is part of who we are as a church, as our DNA, they want to be around us because we're the most gracious, loving, and kind people on the planet. The church of Jesus Christ needs to look like her husband. We need to embody the same thing. You know, we, we pray about, oh, God, bring a revival. Have you ever, raise your hand if you've ever prayed, bring a revival. Good, glad. It's a good prayer. And we almost always associate, and this is not bad, we almost always associate revival with being something like, God, do what you did in Acts chapter 2, or anywhere in the book of Acts, frankly. Just pour out your spirit. Just let it be this amazing thing. We want that, Amen. I believe there's another kind of revival that could be started by God's people living with this type of forgiveness in a world that is begging us constantly to be offended and unforgiving towards them. If we just didn't do that, if we just said, Father, forgive them, they wouldn't even have to believe what we believe. They would be drawn here because of the kindness of God flowing through our lives. That's my prayer for us. That's the kind of church community that I want to be a part of, unwilling to be unforgiving to every single person, to every government agency, to every leader that I don't agree with, to everyone who walks through the doors of this building or the doors of my life. I want grace just to ooze out of us, forgiveness just to, to be saturated our lives. It's not because there's no sin and there's no wrong and there's no brokenness out there. It's quite to the contrary. It's because Jesus looked at the entire thing saw what we see and said, forgive them. And his spirit lives in us. And if his spirit lives in us, then we are capable. This morning, we're gonna, we're gonna take communion together and we're gonna do a couple of things. So I'm gonna invite, um, I'm just drop, who's helping me? Sorry, whoever's helping me, I forgot. Oh, Scott and Amber, thank you. <laughs> Gracious, maybe I'm hungry. Okay, I want you to come forward and get your communion elements, but we're gonna, I want you to hold them about... Three weeks ago, I gave you all, or David gave you all, little squares of paper that you filled out a decision to forgive based out of that, that parable of Matthew chapter 18 about the unforgiving servant. And um, we took all of those and we wrote those, made a little show, a slideshow type thing that we want to show you. And I want you, when you get back to your seat, that's just going to play quietly. I want you to have your communion elements and just to, to kind of meditatively read what we selected as a church. These are the things that we identified that we were going to let go of. I just want you, it's about three minutes long. I just want you to take that in and then we're going to pray together, okay? 
So would you come on forward and go to either side? There's, you can go to either side. say two things. One is, we don't have the power in ourselves to forgive. It's, it's these reminders. It's where the strength comes from. It's supernatural. It's us yielding to him. It's allowing the spirit of God to speak through our lives. Father, forgive them. Please don't feel like you have to muster up the strength. Frankly, you don't have it. I don't either. But the spirit of God can through us. Christ in me can Second thing is this, when I was, whenever I'm getting stuff ready to share with you and praying and preparing, I, I try to always say, all right, Lord, what are you dealing with me about? Because all good teaching is personally applied before it's shared. And so I was saying, Lord, is there anybody in, is there anybody in my life that I'm just like not right with? I mean, I am a professional Christian, for goodness sake, so you would think I would be okay. And I, and I had a post-it note there, and I started jotting people down. I had like eight people that I thought, if I saw them in Walmart, I'm going to the cat aisle. I'm getting out of there, which is wrong. And I just want to, I've been praying for these folks and praying, Father, forgive them. It, the crazy thing is the people on my list have no idea that I'm irritated with them, frustrated with them. And that's the case most of the time. Other people don't know. It's, just, it's all in me and my head. You probably have post-it note too people, if you think about it, just folks that, that you need your life to say to them, Father, forgive them. Whether they know what they were doing or not, whether they want the forgiveness or not, whether they care or not, I want to invite you this morning to forgive them. Not in your own strength, not with your own ability, but simply because you are in Christ. And that powerful blood and that broken body are enough. Amen? Let's pray together. Father, thank you Thank you that we don't have to drum up strength. We don't have to white knuckle it to forgive these folks in our lives. We have to rest in your arms and let the spirit of God through us bring grace and mercy to other people. Lord, I pray for us, the people that have hurt us, the situations that have gone south, the, the, the circumstances that have been so very hurtful and damaging to us. Lord, give us the grace this morning to forgive. We are in Christ, which means we are in the one who said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Lord, may we be a people who say those same words from our heart. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Lord, we offer that forgiveness with compassion. We offer that same forgiveness with, without even the request for pardon. We offer it regardless of who the people are, what the circumstances were. We just give you, Lord, our hearts. May our lives so reflect your glory, so reflect your kindness and love and mercy that we impact the people that are in our families and in our neighborhoods and in our workplaces because we look like Jesus. Jesus, shine through your people. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Would you take your communion elements, please?
Thank you, Lord. When you're, when you're finished, would you stand with me? extend your hands. I want to bless you in the name of the Lord before you leave. Grace Church family, I pray that you would have breakthrough. I pray that that breakthrough would come as you trust in the Lord with all of your heart and as you choose not to lean in your own understanding, your own cognitive abilities, but rather in all of your ways you would acknowledge him and allow the Lord to direct your paths. I pray your blessing his blessing over you, that he would go before you and behind you. He would be on each side of you. He would cover you from above and he would support you underneath with his everlasting arms. I pray that he would pour out his blessings in every part of your life for you are loved, much loved. You are beloved. In Jesus' name, amen. We trust that this teaching made a difference in your life. If you'd like more information about giving your life to Jesus, email us at info at graceforward.